Go ahead and take a seat. You can open your Bibles if you have them to Matthew chapter 6. We're leaving Colossians for a night. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25. Uh, Mark is with a team of 30 people from Ecuador in, or 34 people from Matthias in Ecuador. And so the residents, myself and Steve, raised up a revolt and we took over the stage by force. So we decided we were going to preach tonight, and we were going to leave Colossians, and we were going to go to Matthew. Uh, So I just really, really can't express how super excited I am. This text has, um, I mean, it's just gotten inside my heart. Uh, Really, really excited to get started. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 25. Uh, We're just going to read one word, because we're going to have to get some context here. So Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 says, therefore, okay, let's stop. It's going to be a long night. Uh, Okay, so you may have heard uh, Mark or somebody else say that uh, if you see the word therefore in the Bible, you have to stop and figure out what it's there for, like what it's doing there. That, yeah, you see what I did there. Thank you. Thank you, Stephen. (laughs) So so what what you're doing there is the word therefore, what's coming after it, hinges upon what came before it. So right now, we're looking at what comes after the word therefore, but we have to understand it in light of what came before it. So what came before it, in short summation, is Jesus is talking to a large, large crowd of people on a mountain. It's called the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking to specifically um, probably a lot of poor people. And he just got done telling telling them that if you've chosen to follow God, if you've chosen to pursue God, to commit your life to God, that you can't follow anything else that you have chosen to pursue God in such a way that you can't pursue things, specifically material possessions or money. So that's the context of what we're going in here for. If you are a person who has chosen to believe in God, you have to pursue him with all of your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. Verse 25, therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life. Quick show of hands, anybody ever been anxious about anything, ever? Okay, so yeah, all of us. So we've just agreed that this text is relevant to us, so we're on the same page. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Can we all just agree that the definition of anxiety is um, being in junior high? (laughs) Like, I think that's, let's just be real. Like, every single thing that you do in junior high, your entire future hinges upon those words, right? Like, if Sally comes in with a new haircut, it's the coolness factor that you have for the next three years is dependent on whether or not you approve of her haircut and whether or not everybody else does. Like when I was in sixth grade, this is so, this is so weird and so true. Um, it was really, really cool to wear shorts, like in the winter. So there's snow on the ground and you're wearing shorts because pants, for whatever reason, were just like lame. And, uh, and I remember, so that was sixth grade. And I had this friend, he was like a cool, popular guy. His name was Chris. And, uh, and, and so that was sixth grade. And seventh grade, the first day of seventh grade, I get on the bus to go to seventh grade. And Chris is there and I sit down next to him and he's wearing pants. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing wearing pants? Like, pants are lame. He's like, no, man, pants are cool now. <laughs> and I'm like, what? What? And what's weird is that he was right. 
Like suddenly everybody was wearing pants, like somewhere in the three months between sixth grade and seventh grade, like everybody passed around this secret memo that nobody told me about, that I wasn't supposed to wear shorts, that even if it was 100 degrees, I was supposed to be wearing pants. And I was like devastated. Because we all know that whether you're cool or not depends on whether you're wearing pants or not. <laughs> I didn't even realize that was what I said. You should wear pants. Or some, they're never going to invite me on stage again. <laughs> so in junior high, like, everything is anxious because your future hinges on everything that you say and do. What about, I'm sure there's no one in this room that's ever been anxious about a test, right? Never been anxious about a test that's coming up later this week on Friday at 9 a.m. in your biology class. Some of you are like sweating with anxiety right now. Like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for what I just did to you. Maybe tests and grades are what makes you anxious. But what about graduation? What about what comes after school? What about what comes after college? Am I, I, I going to get a good job? Am I going to marry the right person? Am I going to be able to provide enough money to feed myself? A friend of mine said yesterday that when you or in college, you think that when you get out of college, all of those anxieties go away because you get, you get the job and you get married and you are making money and those anxieties go away, but the truth is they don't. There's always a future that you can be concerned about. There's always something to be anxious about because it's not, am I gonna get a job, it's, am I gonna keep the job that I have? Instead of, am I gonna be able to afford to feed myself, it's, am I going to be able to afford to feed my children? There's always something to be anxious about. Or decisions that have to do with God's calling on your life. What if God wants me to be a doctor, but somehow I fail a test, can't get into graduate school, and then can't be a doctor? But God wanted me to be a doctor, and now somehow I've like stepped outside of the will of God, and I'm like off in this wilderness of no provision, and so I have to figure out how to exist by myself because somehow I've stepped outside of the will of God. Does it make you anxious to think about stepping outside of the will of God somehow? As if we could do that. I spent three years of my life, just uh, to be honest and confess, really, really anxious about my job. I was newly married and I was in seminary, and I was working on staff at a church here in, in St. Louis, St. Louis on the other side of the river. We're in St. Charles, St. Louis. And uh, I know that's really a, a really big deal around here. So it was over in St. St. Louis. And I was working with the youth ministry. And for three years, I, I didn't see eye to eye with the leadership on pretty much anything. And so every day I approached that job with anxiety. I was terrified of the conversations I was going to have to have, of the things that we were going to do that I disagreed with, like to the point where I was physically sick thinking about the conversations that I was going to have to have with people. Because I had decided that I knew what was best for this church, and I knew how it needed to run, and I knew what it needed to do, and I knew how to make a successful youth ministry, and I put that weight on my shoulders. I felt like I was responsible for those things. And all the constant turning over in my head and dreading and worrying and fretting, it didn't do anything for the church or my wife or me. That's what anxiety means. That's what anxiety is. You put that definition up there, Andrew. 
Anxiety is being anxious. Being anxious means constantly worrying about the less than ideal outcome of some future event. So constantly worrying, it's in your mind, it's in your head. You're sitting in class thinking about the test that you're going to take in the next class. You're sitting at your desk at work thinking about the fact that your boss just called you in to his office an hour from now, and you don't know what it is that he wants to talk to you about, and it's running through your head over and over. What are we going to do? Because you're worried about a less than ideal outcome, right? We don't worry about things that are good. We worry about the potential of things that are bad, some future event. So it's something that's in the future that we're worrying about it now, even though we don't know that it's actually going to happen. Your boss could have called you into the office to give you a raise. You don't know. I just want to take a a quick second to pause right now and just say that um, what I'm not talking about and what I'm definitely not qualified to talk about is anxiety in the medical sense, um, in the kind of chemical uh, counseling, medical kind of world. That's not what I'm talking about. It's not what I'm... Uh, qualified to talk about. So if, if that's you and that's where you're at, then I definitely encourage you to seek some, some counsel and some guidance from, from the medical world. But uh, what we're talking about is being anxious means constantly worrying about the less than ideal outcome of some future event. So what is it that causes us to do that? Why would we worry about the future? Here's the why. We are anxious because we do not have faith that God will provide. And therefore, we make future provision our responsibility. Right? I don't think, I'm anxious about this job interview because if I don't get it, then I'm not going to be provided for. And I'm anxious because I don't believe that God is going to provide me a job in order to pay for food, in order to stay alive. I don't believe that God is going to provide for that. So I have to take on that responsibility and make sure that I provide. So Jesus is speaking to the poor, mostly to the poor. And to them, this is very, very real because they don't necessarily even know when or where their next meal is going to come from, right? He says, if these are the things that you're anxious about, you shouldn't be because these are not what life is about. Life is about more than food and clothing. That's not the message we get, right? If you watch TV for like five minutes, you know that the message that we get is the better food, the better clothes, the better house, and the better zip code, the better the essentials, the better your life, right? That's the message we hear. But Jesus says life is more than just the essentials. Life is more than food and clothing, when my wife and I got married, her grandparents uh, gifted us a honeymoon to Puerto Vallarta, Mexico. And uh, it's difficult to say, but awesome, awesome city. Like, ridiculous. So it was an all-inclusive resort. And we go there, and it's like beaches and sand and sun and swimming and other things that you do on honeymoons. And, uh, and it's like gorgeous it's right on the waterfront, and it's huge, like hundreds of rooms, and there's like five or six restaurants that you can eat at, and it's all inclusive, so you can do whatever you want, whenever you want, and uh, just phenomenal. And so we go, we go to eat lunch, and th- we're like the only ones in the restaurant. And so it's kind of weird, and we kind of laugh about it, and then we go to eat dinner later that night, and we're the only ones in the restaurant. 
except for like 20 servers who are standing around watching us eat. <laughs> what's, what's going on? So we're kind of like, well, maybe we're, like, we're on vacation in Mexico, so we should be like sleeping in, and we should not go to lunch at 11.30. We should go to lunch at like 1 or 2. So we try that, and we're the only people in the restaurant. And so the next night we go to dinner at like 9 instead of 6. And then the next night we try dinner at like 10.30. And it takes us like three days to realize we're actually the only people in the resort. <laughs> Like, it's us and 100 servers and front desk clerks, and they're all just watching us on our honeymoon. (laughs) It was super weird and kind of creepy. But, I mean, it was was a phenomenal week. It was great. It was relaxing. It was romantic. It was uh, just an awesome time to, to spend with my wife. But the truth is, like, seven days of nothing, of... Just laying on the beach is like all that I could take. It's because our, our lives were built for more than just retiring to Florida when we turned 65. Like life is not about just an, amassing enough wealth and money and possessions that when you get to 65, you don't have to worry about anything else because you can just go ahead and be done working. No, I'd much rather be on mission with my wife than be lazy with my wife. So if these are the things that you're concerned about, what does Jesus say? You can go ahead and put that scripture back up there. If you're worried about God's provision for your life, Jesus says, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So what do we gain from looking at the birds of the air? Well, what we gain is is just what Jesus says, that we don't have to be anxious, because if God feeds the birds, of course he's going to feed us. Of course, he's going to provide for us. We don't have to be anxious about those things. But at the same time, it also prevents us from apathy. Because if we look at the birds, God doesn't just like magically drop worms out of the sky into the mouth of the bird who's sitting in his parents' basement playing Halo all day long. (laughs) That's what birds do, right? No, the birds know, well, I don't know if the birds know, but the Birds instinctively know that God provides them worms underneath the dirt so they go dig them up. The seagull knows that there are fish under the water, so he flies around and dive bombs into the water to pick up fish. The woodpecker, annoyingly enough to us, burrows into trees, burrows? Pecks into trees? Gets into trees to take insects out. Right, so the the bird knows that God is providing, but it's not apathetic. It still works itself into the calling that God has provided for it. And Jesus says, of course God feeds the birds, but are you not of more value than they? I value the birds enough to feed them. Of course, I'm going to provide for you. But maybe the question in your heart tonight is, God won't provide for me in the things that I'm anxious for because I'm not of more value. Maybe you don't feel valuable enough for God to provide for you. You don't feel that God cares for you. But the truth is, he does. He's already showed you how much he cares. 
In Romans chapter 8, verse 32 says this, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Your value is not determined by the things that you do. It's determined by the things that God has already done. And the thing that God has already done is sacrifice his son, Jesus Christ. So your value, the value of your life is the life of Jesus Christ. That is the value that God has placed on your life. You are more valuable. Verse 27, and which of you by being anxious can add a single hour to his span of life? I'm just gonna tell you that you can't. That's really all there is to say about that verse. And if you think you can, well, you can't. Anyway, verse 28, and why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So when Jesus says Gentiles, what he's talking about is uh, people who aren't Jews, and specifically what he means is people who don't believe in God or don't believe in Yahweh, the Lord. So he says that Gentiles, people who don't believe in God, seek after, constantly worry about what am I going to eat and what am I going to drink and what am I going to wear? And of course they would, right? Like they don't believe in God, so they don't believe that that provision is going to come from anywhere else except for their own hands. And maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you would say that you don't believe in God, that you don't believe that there is one who provides. Maybe you would say you're not a Christian. And first of all, let me just say that that's cool, and we're really thankful that you would come hang out with us tonight. Just blessed to have you with us. And second, I would encourage you to think about that. Think about whether it is your responsibility to provide food and clothing and shelter and to make that happen, to add hours to your lifespan. Because the truth is I and, and we here at Matthias believe that there's a God who provides more than we can possibly imagine. I'd encourage you to think about that because he's a good good father to know. So if these aren't the things that we're supposed to think about, the things that are supposed to occupy our mind, these are the things that we're not supposed to be anxious about. What is it that we are supposed to seek? Jesus tells us in verse 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. So we said that God is calling us to a purpose, right? Like we have a missionality to our life. We have more to living than just hanging out on the beach all day long. And this is what we're talking about here. So let's define these, these two things, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. 
The kingdom of God, big, big concept, big term. Um, in this context, specifically, we're talking about the authority that God has over everything that he has created, which would be everything. So the sovereignty, the authority of God over everything. And his righteousness, what we're talking about, and again, another big term, but in this context, we're talking about living rightly as God calls us to live. So righteous living in line with what God calls us to do. So to seek his kingdom and righteousness means to recognize his authority in our lives and the world around us, to desire for others to recognize his authority in their lives and the world around them, and to live rightly as he calls us. Practically, this is summed up just by simply saying, prioritizing the glory of God over our own glory. Right? So to seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness is to prioritize the glory of God over our own glory. I really can't tell you how much over the last week and even the last day, God has shown me in ways that I really haven't even ever understood, I don't think, what it is to humble myself so that he can be made known. So practically, in our lives, how do we prioritize the glory of God over our own glory? The first, the first way is in our prayer. Do we pray for God's glory or do we pray for provision for ourselves so that we can have a good life and be glorified in ourselves? Does your prayer life reflect a pursuit of God's glory? The second way is in our proclamation. What is it that you talk about? Do you talk about how awesome you are at what it is that you do which allows you to be provided for? Or do you talk about God's gifting, the way he's made you, the provision that he has made for you in your life? Is that what you tell others about? A few years ago, I got to go to the Louvre in Paris, the Louvre, as they say in Paris, and, uh, and I got to see the Mona Lisa and it was really kind of weird because there's like thousands of people that are there to see the Mona Lisa. And so they funnel you into this room and you go through this doorway and you're in this line and you're like walking and you literally get to be in front of the Mona Lisa, like 20 feet away, but in front of the Mona Lisa for maybe four seconds. And then they like funnel you back out around the outside of this line. And I had a camera, and so I had spent my four seconds, like, taking a picture of the Mona Lisa, and I'm really not even sure if I actually, like, looked at it with my eyes as much as I just looked at it through the viewfinder. Um, so I have to go back. Uh, but if you spent time and looked at that painting, you wouldn't look at that painting and say, man, that painting did a really good job of painting itself. Like, it just made itself so beautiful. No, you would look at that painting and say, the artist is phenomenal. Da Vinci? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> what, a, what an amazing artist that that guy is that could paint something like that. And in the same way, it's, you didn't create yourself. So are you proclaiming yourself or are you proclaiming the glory of God through you? The third way is in our purpose. The things that God has called us to. The actions that we take. So the, 
in, in Ephesians chapter two, uh, it, says, it says that God created us for good works that he prepared beforehand so that we could walk in them. So these good works aren't like some mysterious will of God that we have to hope that we can kind of figure out. No, he's shown us how to walk in those good works. He's given us the word to be a lamp to our feet. He's given us the spirit to guide our steps. And in this passage that we just read, if you could put that, that passage back up. Uh, yeah, that one. So, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. So all of these things being the things that people were anxious about, right? That future provision, food and clothing and shelter and, and whatever it is. All of these things will be added to you. As we pursue God's purpose in our lives, he provides for us what we need, what is necessary to fulfill that purpose. We're not surprising God. We're not doing things that he wasn't prepared for and therefore didn't prepare for us, right? Like if God's plan for my life, if God's purpose and calling on my life is to be a doctor, God's not gonna put me in medical school and then forget to feed me for two months and then I die and then I don't become a doctor. And God's just there like, oh man, I forgot about the food. He was a doctor and now he's not. What are we gonna do? Like God doesn't, God's not gonna call you to proclaim the, the gospel in Ecuador but forget to fill up the plane so that you can't fly to Ecuador and then God's like, well now there's nobody proclaiming the gospel in Ecuador. Like what am I gonna do? No, God's gonna provide you what is necessary to fulfill his purpose in your life. Not what's necessary to fulfill your purpose, what's necessary to fulfill his purpose in your life. God is, God is zealous for his own glory. And he's powerful enough to make it known. Verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. When we're anxious, we're placing tomorrow's troubles on our minds and hearts today. We're worried about what's gonna happen in the future, but we're worried about it today. We're not dealing with what's happening in the moment. We're worried about the future. So be, to be anxious, whatever it is, whatever is in your heart that you are anxious about, the goal is not to not be anxious. Jesus' goal is not to just stop you from being anxious. My desire is not for you to not be anxious. My desire is that your faith would be increased in such a way that you know God will provide for you. Therefore, you have no reason to be anxious. So the action step is not to just make yourself not be anxious. The action step is to plead for God to increase your faith. We don't just will ourselves out of anxiety. We pray for God to increase our faith so that we don't have to be anxious. I was walking into Covenant Seminary Library last week, getting ready to do some research and, and prep for this sermon. And I was just thinking over in my head uh, those, those two lines, um, is, life, is not life more than, and of how much more value are you? And seriously, God just like 
reached down and smacked me in the face. Like I almost stopped walking where I was in the middle of the parking lot. Because the truth is that God provides just what you need in order to accomplish his purpose, and more so, what you need to accomplish his purpose. But at some point, the truth is, somebody doesn't get the food provided to them. At some point, your body does break down. At some point, because of the effects of sin in this world, our lives do come to an end. And what's ridiculous is that God's provision is not just food and water in this world. In Isaiah chapter 61, verse 10 says this, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. If God clothes the lilies of the field, how much more is he going to clothe you? Not with American Eagle and Hollister. I really hate that store. It creeps me out. But with garments of salvation and a robe of righteousness, you can have whatever fancy clothes and cars and houses that you want, I am wearing a robe of righteousness and I'll wear it forever. In John, we see the story of the woman at the well and God, Jesus said that we don't need to worry about what we will drink, right? And he says to the woman at the well, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. And Jesus said that God will feed the birds of the air, but of how much more value are, the, are you than they? Not just bread, but bread of life. In John chapter 6, Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that, no one, so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. God's provision is so much more than your job or your career or your family. God's provision never ends. It never fails. It never fades. Later on in chapter six, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Church, tonight we have an amazing opportunity to participate in communion. And my prayer is that tonight this would not just be about eating bread and drinking grape juice. 
but that tonight this would be a reminder of God's continual and never-ending provision in your life. If you're a believer, this is a table for you. A table provided for us by our God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Pray with me. God, thank you. Thank you that we do not need to be anxious. Thank you that you provide just what we need and more so in order to accomplish your purpose. Father, as we take communion tonight, please, please remind our hearts of your provision for us and this life and the life eternal. It's in your precious son's name we pray. Amen.